Hello and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast. Firstly, I want to say a massive thank you to those who shared some incredibly kind words on social media and who shared the podcast that we did with Rulani McQuenna. I believe within 48 hours, it was already our most listened to podcast of the year so far. And every time I check it out, the number goes up. Rulani was an incredible guest who shared not only some immense tactical and coaching knowledge with us, but some unbelievable life lessons too. An incredibly inspirational man and certainly a credit to Mamelodi Sundowns. One thing that Rulani spoke about in the podcast was the idea of creating chaos in possession, using a, a diamond in midfield and numerous positional switches in game to do so, while also speaking about the importance of boxes in football tactics. The idea of creating chaos and confusion for the opposition is to gain advantages and superiorities on the pitch, and teams do this in a number of ways. But one that has become more and more prominent in recent seasons is the idea of a functional backline. From John Stones playing as a number eight, to fullbacks inverting, to the refined return of the libero, to using goalkeepers in the middle third of the pitch, the role of the defence has become more and more complex season after season. So that got us thinking, what are the different ways teams can use defenders in possession? What profiles are needed for each role and how the positioning of defenders can completely change the structure of the team. And that's exactly what we'll be discussing in this podcast today. To do so, I'll be joined by the ever-present and ever-analytical Kyle McGuill, who is now working with Rangers Academy in Scotland as an analyst, but a man who has such a keen eye and a love for the development of tactics at the elite level. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. Before we begin, though, please make sure to rate the podcast five stars, hopefully. It's genuinely appreciated so, so much. If the podcast is to continuously grow and get better guests on, we'll need your help. So it really would mean a lot if you could give us a five star rating and we'll do our best to bring you the very best audio content that we can. Anyway, enough of me waffling. Let's get into the episode by speaking to Kyle. Kyle, welcome back to the TFA podcast. It's been a while. Yeah, it certainly has been. Thanks for having me back, Adam. No problem at all. How have you been? Good. Yeah. Um, being given it summer here in Scotland, just taking it easy, doing a little bit more like the quiet study and, and all of that good stuff. So been been quite chill. Well, you had a bit of nice news recently, and you can plug that on this podcast. Go on. Yeah. I know, I know, um, I know you're a bit you're a bit modest, but go on, plug it. No, nah, yeah, it's just um thankfully I've I've had the opportunity to to apply and thankfully got accepted into an internship at Rangers um where I'll be working as an academy analyst um it's just I still can't grasp it but it's just it'll be a fantastic experience to work in that environment it was fantastic professionals and such a high quality um high performance environment yeah it's unbelievable when did you when did you start working with clubs or, or just in general was it was yeah it, it was last year it was uh no it was the beginning of this year um, I started with, yeah, I started with Sterling Albion in the fourth tier here in Scotland. Um, it was fantastic experience. I worked in both of the recruitment and the performance analysis mm-hmm. side of things. We won the league, uh, went up to League One. Um, I think a month after I started with Sterling Albion, I also started with the women's team at the university who are in the second tier of the women's football in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So I was juggling both jobs with uni and TFA. So it was very hect- hectic, but um, so, so worth it. And the the experience in those lower leagues is just invaluable. It's so, so different than my experience online. So that experience was definitely 
um, meant a lot to me. That's incredible. It's incredible how quickly you did it as well. Yeah, it's it's it it, it was also in the same period where um, a lot of the Formalilo and Farioli, mm. those articles that I wrote sort of gra- got grabbing a lot of attention. Um, so it's been the these past six months have felt like three years. Well. A good segue from that is that I was reading a report today that apparently Guardiola wants Juan Malilo back at Manchester City. And I'm not great with segues, but I'll keep on the topic of Pep Guardiola. This 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 podcast is not going to be centered around Pep, of course, but I think it would be fair to acknowledge the the that it, a lot of the stuff we will discuss kind of stemmed from his spell at Barcelona and then flourished out and blossomed into what we know now as the modern game. One of those, or two of those, should say, are 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 fullbacks and and goalkeepers. Kyle, from I, I mean, I grew up watching football in the pre Pep era, of course, and I can safely say that the role of goalkeepers and and fullbacks was completely different. I think the most you probably would, the most functionality you would get in terms of fullbacks was that. Jose Mourinho usually tended to have one up, one back, but it wasn't to keep a plus one at the back. It was just simply for defensive security, as opposed to because you wouldn't really have positional play principles back then. You wouldn't see football through the lens of that. Yeah. Um, you smiled there. That made you, that, that made you happy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so fullbacks, that was probably the most functionality you had. And then you, you saw in the, the post-Pep era where that all changed. Do you think it's fair to say that Pep's Barcelona really kickstarted that, especially with goalkeepers and fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe full, maybe fullbacks was his Bayern side. Maybe we'll discuss that in a bit, but especially yeah. goalkeepers, it became a, yeah. you know, goalkeepers needed all, to be Yeah, at the goal. And, and, and yeah. you did have a little bit with Danny Alves um, bombing forward and then uh, Abidal sort of counteracting that. But mm-hmm. when, we, when we say Pep is arguably the most influential manager um, in the history of football, it's not necessarily what he does, you have what he does and what tends to be copied and all the innovations, which are really um, century-old uh, part of football. Mm-hmm. But it was that his Barcelona drastically changed the, the the context of football. Defenders became the first attackers, as that cliche goes. And the comp- they had a their ability to retain possession, circulate possession, just became crucial. Um, building up from the back became much more common, um, so the complexity of those first few phases of possession, um, just became, just became so, so complex that it's increased a lot. And then the need for evolution as a result of that complexity was, was always just began accel- accelerating mm-hmm. in the last 10 years or so. Um, because of this, the functionality of defenders have increased, uh, teams were pressing smarter, um, and it became more difficult to play out of the back. And then as a response, uh, Pep and all the other managers started developing many, many ways to counteract that and keep evolving the game. So I think when we when we say Pep was very influential, I think his side flipped the switch in football and then it sort of accelerated, um, especially those first few phases of possession and then the defenders as a result. Hmm. How do you think that, and this is something I, I'm, I, I tend to notice if I see clips of, of games from, let's say, pre-2010 and post-2010, defensive blocks weren't as solid or compact. And I feel like with the evolution of positional play, defensive blocks became more compact in terms because 
because yeah. they knew that teams that wanted to dominate the ball were looking to, yeah. in my in my view anyway, to find players between the lines. So those yeah. lines had to be smaller. That space yeah. had to be smaller. I think that I was. Think, I think. Natural. I think in the if you go way way back and when the WM was the the way and the this is I don't know nineteen thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it the people talk about how it used to be essentially two games of five. And the defensive block and the attacking block was very distinct. Um, I think before positional play was even, I think Catanaccio in Italy um, was very, very key in making the structures more compact, the spaces. When that was introduced, the spaces began diminished and became started becoming smaller. Um, so when Pep came around, there was already 50, 60 years of this work of the, the spaces becoming smaller, in addition to the physical side of football or humans, which have been growing um, so you get this like perfect swarm of the spaces are becoming smaller and, and everything of that sort. It's really interesting. But even at that, I believe that when you watch back old old Catnacho sides, whether it be from Helena Herrera's into Milan mm-hmm. or, or, or or even moving on to like a Trapatoni, for example, at Juventus, I think the 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 idea that the, the space was very compact is very true. But even at that, I think the attacking arsenal of the opposition wasn't as as varied so you, you yeah. watch their games and a lot of attacks were crosses and long balls and yeah. things like that so we, and it was quite heavily you know man marking was quite heavy as well so it was a little different whereas now you see teams yeah. you know i don't i don't think catenaccio really exists anymore i think it was mm. it like i'm sure you can defend deep and and hit you know sit in a low block you can do that of course but i think it's a lot it's a lot harder now because position or attacking systems are far more refined and and, and difficult to, to actually fully stop. And yeah. this is why I think that personally using pragmatic systems over long term is is damaging because it's much it, you you can get away with it for probably a game yeah. against a top side. But I think if you're if you're a team fighting for a title and you play in a pragmatic way with you know, sitting in a low block and hitting teams in yeah. the break like you used well, to get away with you probably can't do that as much anymore. It is it is essentially suicidal to just defend for an entire ninety minutes. Yeah. Um it's more often than That's not That's my point, especially in the modern game it is. Yeah. You know? And and possession is a is a tool not only to attack but to defend because when you don't have the ball the opponents or when you do have the ball the opponents don't. So yeah. um definitely yeah. And then and then labeling a team as mere like only defensively is just football's four phases mm-hmm. and um it's yeah i don't believe just labeling a coach as defensive coach there's still work to do in, in both transitions and in attack mm-hmm. so one thing that is interesting is that when teams defend in a say for example a 442 i suppose it was probably pep's team where you saw these positional play principles come into effect of the the plus one we hear mm-hmm. but not that we hear we all use the plus one in our analysis but even teams that we watch now that perhaps wouldn't we wouldn't deem as positional play sides or yeah. possession-based teams we always look through at football apart from certain teams of course which we'll get on to later in the podcast mm-hmm. we'll look at most teams through the lens of positional play so even at a West Ham under David Moyes far from a positional play team but if Declan Rice drops between the three central defenders against a two-man press you know it's a 3v2 and they're yeah. using that plus one to get that numerical superiority in that area what other ways? So we'll we'll discuss, we'll talk about the fullbacks first before we move on to other positions. But fullbacks were the first elements of Pep's uh, ability to get this plus one, I suppose you can say. 
was it was it I know you mentioned Danny Alves earlier, but to my to my knowledge, Bayern Munich was the first he really uh, solidified using, say, inverted fullbacks or, or yeah. you know, for example. So, but but talk to me about his use of fullbacks to get that plus one at the back. Yeah, the the inverted fullbacks is what made the stamp. That here we go. Um, well, it's not necessarily a the, the plus one concept is a very complex one. Um, first, to understand that you have to take a look at um, the concept of penning the defenders. Essentially, teams will look to have a plus one in the last line of in the back line, which leaves a plus one. But if you look at Inter in the final um, against Man City, you have ways to to do both. Mm-hmm. So essentially, to, to ensure you have a plus one at the back, but also be equal for superiority um, or for e- equal for numbers in the first phases of possession. The goalkeeper, which we, we mentioned, is a good way to do that. Just if you split the pitch in half and then you have that, it's 9v8 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Goalkeeper will have that. But the fullbacks, um, especially as a with the inverted role becoming popular, uh, it created more dynamic Plus ones, like you said, if you just look at the first line of pressure, um, if Philip Blum inverts, um, he creates that plus one in that specific area. Um, so the 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 fullbacks' green functionality, their ability to perform different ro- different roles with different positions. So you have Celtic, where the two under edge, where the full the two fullbacks start inside, mm-hmm. and then it's a two three. Uh, those I would say that's a more premeditated oppositional. That's a starting point, but then you also have um, when the fullback makes that that role is to offer dynamic passing lines behind the first line of pressure, so he will invert and create those options. Um, so it's it's the the functionality increased in order to find that plus one, that third man in that specific area, not necessarily the build up area, but that very specific ball center area. So yeah, the the the, the functionality the the fullback was the first very clear example of how playing around with the role and the position of the fullback and the, and the build-up offered you that plus one in, in, in those scenarios. Hmm. I do find it interesting as well that we still label fullbacks as fullbacks when, in my eyes, the role of a fullback would be very much Arsene Wenger fullbacks bombing forward, overlapping, for example, whereas mm-hmm. players you see now, for example, uh, uh, Zinchenko at Arsenal, for example, would invert, but we we still label them as a fullback, be probably probably because of their out of possession role, maybe or yeah. Or, I think convenience is a big part of it because yeah, are, yeah. But it's yeah, yeah. I say convenience is probably the the, the biggest part of it. That's so we're all just lazy. We don't want to create new names. And uh, maybe in my next piece uh, that I write, I'll create a new position and just let the let the reader figure out what I'm saying. Yeah, um, I mean, if you look at if you look at Man City. Do they even have a fullback when they yeah. put four center halves and yeah. one of them is John Stones as a midfielder? So it's just yeah. it, it genuinely got to the point though. I find it fascinating that especially if you watch football in the United Kingdom, I think it's on either BT Sport or Sky Sports, when Man City are lining up the team, or when the the the, the graphics, I should I should say, of the team lineup yeah. is out, they don't even put four three three anymore. They just put what three two four one for example because you know what I mean they understand that the fullbacks yeah. aren't fullbacks so they've just lined it up the way it looks in possession because it rarely looks any different so I found that interesting whereas for years it was always Pep 43 regardless of what it looked yeah. like um but talking about keep or keeping on with fullbacks there I wanted to bring up how Louis van Hal used his fullbacks with the Netherlands during his 
third stint in charge. Yes, third stint in charge. Soon to be fourth stint, though. But yes, his third stint in charge. He called his full, or he used an analogy to describe his fullbacks in an interview, and he used the analogy of a steering wheel. So basically, one goes up and one goes inside. So it looks right. like a steering wheel in, in, in functionality. And I quite like that. But obviously, Van Hal's idea of football involves using maximum width, at, le- at least to my knowledge, if I remember Holland. I know it's been, or the Netherlands has mm-hmm. been quite a while since they last played, but to my knowledge, it was maximum width because the left back, for example, would go up. The winger on that side, if they used a winger, would invert. And then on the far side, the winger would hold the width because the up the, the right back was tucked inside then. So you need to have width on both sides. With, yeah. do, you, do, you, do you think, I know we're going to talk about wingers in a bit, but it's just a po- an interesting point to bring up. Do you think wingers have a massive role to play in the team's structure when the fullbacks have a certain have a certain role? And what I mean is, like, most positional play teams use maximum width. I don't want to say all of them, but a lot of them would, so they need to, so if a yeah. fullback's sitting deeper, so say, for example, Celtic, maybe they'll use their wingers wider, for instance, to get Because of the fullbacks that come inside. Yeah. Because the fullbacks will come inside in the, in the build-up, the winger needs to stay inside to, mm-hmm. to needs to stay outside to, to have the max maximum width. Yeah. Do you think that's merely a way to just stretch the opposition? Do you think it's it's yeah. it's just it's a necessity? Do you think I mean I know there's it's, it's a way to stretch the back line. Yeah. Because when you stretch not even the, the defensive block, um if you have the 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 wide players beginning with maximum width, um and the defender and the defensive block chooses to remain compact in those three central lanes. You can activate them, and they will be in very advantageous scenarios. Um, additionally, a lot of like Celtic, a big part of them was the one v ones with Jota and and Hatate, I think, um, or Maeda. Sorry, Maeda. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and then it's just that the the fullback. That's a very specific scenario, but the mm-hmm. fullback is essentially um, it works with the structure. It's not in itself. So. Um, with the wing in that specific scenario, it's more of a response given the the whole the, the collective way that Angie wants to play. Mm. Um, so it's it's kind of a trade off. Um, in positional play, you get those clear trade offs where you have to do something. So um, the defenders, the, the the fullback stays inside, and then the winger stay or stays wide. But if the fullback is a Danny Alves type, you have an inside forward who operate like a like an inside forward who just operate in the central mm-hmm. lane. So it's it's more of a domino effect. It's not just an isolated instinct and an instant, and then it just work together. The idea of a trade off is really interesting, actually, and it's a good. It's a good. I've never heard anyone call it a trade off for some reason, but it just when you watch a positional play team, you notice, you know, they the coach will want players in certain zones of the pitch. So if as you said, if the fullback's inside, there's no one holding the width. He needs a player out wide to do that, and. It can fluctuate sometimes. I mean, it doesn't always have to be the winger technically, but usually it is. Sometimes mm-hmm. the winger can invert in the central midfield because out wide. I've seen that before. It, it doesn't. Yeah. It's you know. It's not that. Some team. And 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 then you can not 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 only looking at the wingers, but also the other um, fullback, like you've mentioned. But um, now we get Liverpool. Where Trent goes aside, and Robo Robertson. He he tucks inside as a third center half to mm-hmm. widen that back line. The coverage. Of, so they can have a wider coverage and be more safe, I guess, um, and and a defensive transition. So it's just that's a very specific example of what, as well as the trade off, I guess. Yeah, and that's actually a great segue into 
the the next type of fullbacks we're going to discuss is that idea of the toward central defender and the inverted fullback together, which is something we've seen quite a lot this season, more so than in recent years. I believe after uh, it was a post World Cup when Rico Lewis started to break into Manchester City's team. Yes, we mainly I'm, saw could have been before that, but was yeah. it, it was a I, maybe it was before my my it's it's been a long season, so my my, my memory isn't too great on that issue, but. I remember Rico Lewis would come inside and Nathan Ake would tuck in at left back to become practically what he is as a central yeah. defender. So he'd become a yeah. third centre back in a back three technically. And then Rico Lewis would become part of a double pivot, we'll call it, with Rodri. Yeah. Um, and that was interesting. And we'll, 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 we'll get on to... Well, actually, I'll ask you about the player profiles, I suppose, because it's it's different. Because last year, Man City, or last season, played with... And a left back that played in the inside channels, but that was Jacques Cancelo, who yeah. was an inverted fullback who would position slightly higher. Whereas this season, it's Nate Nake position in the inside channels. But I don't believe they would have been able to do each other's roles. Nate Nake wouldn't have been able to play an no. inverted fullback role and vice versa. Whereas Pep openly spoke around that time, around the post World Cup period, that Kyle Walker couldn't play that inverted fullback role either. Yeah. And I found that really interesting too. And then what ended up happening was was he he stopped playing that role, I suppose. He stopped using that role. And, and what we'll get into soon is that he started using John Stones forward and then basically two fullbacks inside. So Kyle Walker found his place again, especially yeah. when they got to the latter stages of the Champions League and he needed his defensive skill set and his speed. But yeah, let's talk about player profiles then. Starting with the... The fullback, like the Robertson and the Nate Nake that tucks yeah. inside. Why why can't, for instance, or, or what 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 is the purpose of the fullback coming inside other than having a plus one? And what is the type of player you need in that position? Yeah, I think the the reason Ake works so well is because he is naturally a central defender. And that obviously gives me the answer that that role or that profile you need for that role. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of that role is to more of get a three to the back, widen the coverage of the back line. And then it's easier because when you, when you get those images of um, Van Dyke and Konate just being stretched and mm-hmm. then it's becoming so, so obvious. So I think that's the purpose of it. And Ake, the reason he performs so well is because he's a natural defender. And that role has very um, centre-back specific tendencies i was reading a great uh, thread on twitter which was looking at how robertson doesn't have that sort of profile so his when he pushes he doesn't really push up on the opposite side when the ball's on the right side so that kind of keeps liverpool from gaining territory as effectively Mm -hmm. just kind of pushing the the opponent back so it's behaviors that come natural to to central defenders because it's a very it's that type of, of role and that's why in Barcelona you get Koundé, who's who is a central defender performing that role on the right hand side. So I say that's the purpose, and that's sort of the profile you need. And then Liverpool has some big questions of what they're going to do with Robertson because if they want to accommodate Trent, they're not necessarily getting the best out of out of Robertson. So um, yeah, it's it's a very specific profile for that role, and it has a and it has a specific purpose as well. It's a really, really good point you brought up. We haven't actually mentioned this before, but it's something I've thought about was the role of Robertson when the when Klopp started using 
the inverted fullback or Trent as an inverted mm-hmm. fullback because Robertson then was coming inside. I don't think Robertson was having a great season anyway, but that's just, I mean, he, he's had yeah. several amazing seasons. Ball, so I think, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think as a, as a whole, but his skill set was always, I don't want to say exactly mirroring Trent on the opposite side, but the fullbacks yeah. had similar roles, I should say, in attack and they would hit those crosses and crosses and crosses in and Robertson got a lot of assists as well I believe Trent got more assists but he's I think he's a better probably playmaking he's a better playmaker I think or mm-hmm. cross of the ball than Robertson but Robertson still got a bucket load of assists yeah. Yeah. and now he's being kind of shoehorned inside to make way for mm-hmm. Trent coming inside and I find that interesting in your eyes then apart from Apart from personnel issue, whether Klopp buys a new fullback who can fill that role or fulfill that role, for example, mm-hmm. what other way could you kind of get the best out of both? Could you drop a midfielder into the back line and push Robertson forward? Would that leave yeah. too much? So obviously, too poor there. Yeah, obviously, this is where a lot of the criticism towards positional play will come to come from because it is a framework that is very rigid. Because mm-hmm. this discussion will happen as a result of it. Because to to fulfill the rules and and, and uh, Liverpool have the three two two three, um, to to carry that out, it has very uh, the framework is very specific and very it's, it's just it's just very difficult to to accommodate everybody. Yeah. Um, one way I think it's the the midfield is a great point because I think with the flexibility that every team has now with in position, not a position, you can get a midfield to drop that and his inclination to push up. Um, it's a very specific role again, mm-hmm. but his inclination to push up and, and gain territory while also having that, that ability on the ball to face the pitch and distribute the game. I think that would be a fantastic, but then how you go about doing that, I'm not entirely sure. I don't believe McAllister, for example, would be great at doing that. Um, so you need maybe Henderson, but how does he work in that, that role? So, mm-hmm. It's, and then how do you fit? It's a domino effect. How do you put everything together? Um, so so the midfield is a great alternative. Um, and then there's just the positional play, like kind of dilemma. Um, you could say to hell with it and then just have a more free side, a fluid side, where it's not necessarily about maintaining set structure, but it's just about um, immediate kind of what kind of comes about. So, well, one of the, it's a great point, but also one of the reasons. Trent Alexander-Arnold should, should focus on was pushed into midfield was because it kind of got to a point where he was clearly being targeted in games. Yeah. Like it was, I don't know why this season of all seasons it was so dire, but it it it, it was very apparent that every team that came up against Liverpool would target yeah. that right side, whether it be Fidja uh, Kvaratskhelia with Napoli, whether it be yeah. Vinicius Junior with Real Madrid, it was... Uh, uh, Matoma, Karen Matoma with Brighton was yeah, was yeah. probably the worst example of all of them that just had Trent on toast, we should say. But why did pushing him in midfield help Liverpool defensively? Because defensively they massively improved. Results mm-hmm. results instantly improved also, but they were leaking less goals, which was yeah. the main issue. Goal they were still scoring goals throughout the season, but it was they mm-hmm. were just conceding left, right, and centre. Yeah, I think. Because the whole targeting Trent issue, it was never about Trent's individual ability. Mm-hmm. And and obviously in, on Twitter, it, it, it came out as that, but it was never about that. It was about the yeah. structure because Trent's behavior, his positional behavior, allowed for that exploitation. Um, the reason that the change has been 
so good for them is because very similar to Man City, it provided a more safe structure. The rest defense that it provides is just fantastic. It's much better than what it used to be. Um, so, and it, it, it just structurally fixed a lot of the problems they were having. Obviously, there's still more to fix, and maybe that's why they couldn't get the edge and, and get Champions League football. But, um, yeah, I think that's, yeah. Well, I believe they probably couldn't get Champions League football because it was just too little too late. But it, yeah. Yeah. maybe a few games earlier, they would have clinched it because I think Manchester United and Newcastle both limped, we should say, to the end. Yeah. But the point about rest defence is a good one, and it's a good topic to bring up because... Rest defense is is massively has a massive influence over yeah. positional play teams and the way they attack and the way most teams attack anyway in world football and even when you go back and watch Manchester City from 2017-18 to 2018-19 usually it was like a 3-1 build-up structure they would use or, or a 3-1 base of yeah. their positional play when they were trying to break down an opposition to mid to low block and obviously that gives you four players whether it be a, a and one inverted fullback, one forward, regardless of what way the setup was. But Pep has now transitioned into more of a, especially this season, kind of post World Cup, when he was using the two, one fullback inside and one as a third centre half, they would have five players yeah. in that area. But what it would give you is five defensive players in that area. You would have your two central defenders, your two fullbacks, and your number six. So when you lost the ball, it wasn't just that you had anyone there, you had your five best defensive yeah. players there. Which is why it was so helpful for for rest defense terms. Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea was another example of, albeit different, that wasn't using the fullback. So he was another example of a of a coach that preferred having a three two structure. You know, yeah. so when they lost the ball, you had Jorginho and Kante, I believe, or whatever Jorginho and and, and Kovacic, and then you had yeah. the three central defenders. Sometimes he's done it at Bayern this season too, uh, and Liverpool, of course, as well. But why is why is the tree obviously the tree two offers more defensive security because you have an extra man compared to a tree one? Yeah, but mm-hmm. the reason people would use a tree one in the first place is because using a three two build up structure, you have less players forward, yeah, you have exactly. one less man forward. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot to go on. I think let's first the, the last argument about the less having less players to mm-hmm. go. How many times do we see John Stones? Even though he was that that too to, to go into the final third. Um I think the the, the three two became so effective because it, it the numerical part is, is definitely a big part of it. And then we we saw it in the Champions League semifinal against Real Madrid, where Real Madrid was essentially just unable to have the ball. Um you protect the central lanes so so well. And rest defense is really about the central lanes because once the, the opposition has access to the central lanes. Their attack becomes like it could go any direction, and it's very difficult to defend because you defend them, but there's the two wide areas. Whereas if they mainly defend through the wide area, it's easier to compress that. And then when you have a three-two, you have a two players immediately going to that wide area, and then more players providing cover. And then if the ball goes go centrally, you have players immediately in those central lanes, um, providing that. But I think it's important. I think it's not as if the three-two is rest defense. It's the way to play rest defense. I think it has a lot to do with the way your team plays because not every team plays such a like a positional positional play yeah. um, style of play. Um, so it's if you rest defense is really about taking the principles of it, how to minimize the the problems and transitions, and how to have a, a rest defense and possession. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's it's 
important to, to know that it's not the 3-2, but the 3-2 has very obvious um, strengths and then why it's so effective and teams like Liverpool and City have resorted to it and, and it proves to su- successful mainly mm-hmm. City and that uh, semi-final. Well, one way that seems counterintuitive of having a solid rest defense structure is putting your centre-back in the right half space as a number eight in the Champions League final. Yep. So obviously we're talking about central defenders here. Fullbacks, we spoke about fullbacks in depth there because fullbacks probably had the greatest evolution of in terms of positioning of, mm-hmm. I would argue, any position really. I mean, fullbacks have so much. Maybe wingers. Said the forward, yeah, maybe. The false nine, but yeah. That, that, that was kind of, it could only go one way. Whereas the center, the fullbacks, you can literally, if, nowadays the fullback is a defensive midfielder, a center half, or a winger. This is my point. I believe that the fullback had so much, uh, so much tactical Tension. change, or, 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 or I think there's so much variety with it with a fullback, yeah. I believe. That's why. So, whereas, as I said to you before 2010, it was very one dimensional in terms of how fullbacks play it. Now there's just so much variety and there's been yeah. so much evolution in that position. Um but with central defenders it was rather recent. In fact it was probably as recent as a few yeah towards the latter end of the season as well. Yeah. You know, John Stone's playing as a a, a I, I I mean it's not really a name for the role, I don't believe. I was gonna say Libero is not really and and, and and the word false center half. Yeah, yeah. The, what do you call them? A uh, false, a false yeah. five, a false four. It's a strange, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some somebody would come up with a name, but we know we know what we're talking about. Yeah. So John John Stones as a as a in an advanced role is an interesting. Do you think this is going to be the next stage of 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 the functionality of defenders in terms of we'll see this kind of like a, an evolution now where a lot of teams, you know, instead like a lot of teams nowadays use inverted fullbacks. Do you think in two to three years we'll see a lot of teams use a a false four? Yeah. <laughs> As we'll just call them for the purpose of this. I mean, yeah. or, or is it just simply specific to this player because he can he can fulfill a role that Pep mm-hmm. Guardiola wants? I think I'd say it's it's definitely the the John Stones he needs a lot of credit because what he yeah. does is not normal. Um, it's very specific to the role. But as with everything, Pep has unlocked mm. something, a feature in, in the build up that will probably exploit it so much in the next couple of years. But it's when you have a defender who's able to burst forward, not necessarily start forward, but burst forward into behind the first line of pressure and operate in those tight spaces because it's one thing operating with the defender coming at you or the attacker coming at you but when you're in between lines it's a completely different game mm-hmm. so I think defenders will naturally and this is something maybe 10 years it's, it's a long very long process but defenders will naturally become more available able to, to, to perform those roles um almost as a central midfielder mm-hmm. And then we can also go into maybe central midfielders could become defenders, but I still think defenders have very specific attributes that need to be that are necessary to the game. So I think the the John Stones example is a very um, sort of revolutionary um, example of how the center back hole, uh, center half positioning can be evolved and everything. I think Inter also provided one with Bastoni. He's the one that comes to mind. It's just that when you have that three at the back and the wide center halves, I mean, if you were watching the game and didn't know any better, you think Bastoni was a, a left back bursting mm-hmm. forward. Um, 
So I think that also um, has it's it's another way that it could go. Whereas the the center half of the new full box, I guess you could call it. But uh, the and the whole point of the podcast is that the functionality of defenders have massively increased, and now everything is sort of one thing. And it's just how you want to play it. So the possibilities are just endless now. And the full, the center halves are the latest of that mm. uh, have been the last ones to be affected by that. Yeah, well, that being said, obviously the way Stones is being used has been something we haven't really seen before, not to my knowledge at least. But there has been some sort of functionality in the past or in recent years in terms of, of centre-backs, whether it be in a two or a three. And one, the, especially in a three, I think, because you yeah. you naturally can have an extra man with a three, so one goes forward, for example. And the best examples of that are uh, Sheffield United under Chris Wilder, yeah. where they would use the overlapping full-backs to get an extra man in the wide, wide overload up, up high and cross the ball in whatever and they would have two at the back and then a midfielder would kind of sit a little into the he wouldn't fully go into the back line would he drop off a little bit to kind of cover that gap that was left by the centre back and then and also the 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 use of especially certain teams like um, Inzaghi's interdo during the build up phase Conte's Spores did it I believe with Eric Dyer and they did it or Conte did it at Inter as well and Roma did it a little bit with Jose Mourinho. I'm not so sure they did it this season, but certainly last season. What they do is, especially during the build-up phase, when the goalkeeper has the ball and they're trying to play off in the back, one of the defenders, whether it be a, a, a Cherby or or in, in Sports' case, it was Eric Dyer, of course, yeah, who naturally was a midfielder anyway, so I suppose it's kind of yeah, it's, it's yeah. natural for him. But they would sit behind the forced line of pressure when the opposition were pressing and be a passing. And Bayer Leverkusen are a team that do it very well, but they do it in a way that, they almost pin the, the they almost pin the force pressing player to make space to make yeah. I suppose to take them out of the game. So if mm. the force pressing player is taken out of the game by the Jonathan Ta or or whoever it may be, you know, or Andrix as well, if they're playing as a central centre back, they'll just move into midfield, pin the centre forward essentially, and then that man's taken out of the game and they can play him behind the centre forward yeah. then. So there's a number of different ways you can do it, but I think for the functionality we're talking about is higher up the pitch, you know, literally moving between the lines and beyond anyway, the force line of pressure at least on a consistent basis like John Stones mm-hmm. has done. I think what you'll see probably in the short term is, you. well, you mentioned it yesterday and you mentioned it a few minutes ago as well in the podcast, using midfielders in at the yeah. back. We sort of saw a prototype of this a few seasons ago under at Man City on the Pep Guardiola yeah. with Fernandinho and Rodri, especially Fernandinho who played as a central defender during the 2019-20 season. It was Not I don't want to say yeah, it was an yeah, it was his worst side I've ever seen. Pep Guardiola's worst ever team, I believe. Yeah, I think it's fair yeah. to say. Not that maybe before the the Chester's came in when his first season at City, but oh, um, yeah, apologies, that's correct. Yeah, at least they won something that season. Sorry, I completely forgot about that season. Yeah, so this is the second worst season I've ever seen Pep Guardiola have. But he used Fernandinho as a central defender. It didn't quite work. But you're the one who actually, Kyle, you brought Fernandinho yesterday to me in, on on Slack. But as I mentioned to you, Fernandinho wouldn't leave his positioning as a central defender where Stones literally does it was almost like a prototype but it wasn't functioning yeah. and then years later he puts Stones in that role and literally yeah. tells him to move into midfield but my theory but I, I think you will see a lot more of 
of in the meantime, while central defenders are being more comfortable receiving and becoming players who can receive their back turned, I think you'll see a lot of coaches using midfielders at the back, especially if you're using a three-man midfielder or two-man mid or, or sorry. It's a three-man mid. Yeah, if you're or sorry, I meant a three-man back line or a two-man back line. If you're yeah. using you can use one central midfielder who's comfortable receiving between the lines or with his back turned to goal or or on the half turn, whatever, and then one actual regular defender will call yeah. them. And then the, the two fullbacks come inside. You have your central defender who's a good defender anyway, positioned higher in higher areas. And then when you lose the ball and you're out of possession, they'll just slot back into the back four. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think... The Rodri and the Fernandinho, especially Fernandinho, mm-hmm. it was a maybe a prototype, but I, it was just a, really about convenience. I think I, I'm, it was a, some time ago, but I think well, Pep, they had lost company, so it was kind of yeah, yeah. And Pep maybe didn't trust defenders as much as he did midfielders on the ball. So the the whole point of that was mainly um, security on the ball, mm-hmm. not necessarily bursting into the second line of pressure. But yeah, I think that that provided a prototype. But but what about goalkeepers then because I, I don't want to say a goalkeeper is a central defender I'm not that would be silly but sometimes and it's 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 a rarity I feel you will have certain teams that use the goalkeeper so high up the pitch whether it be I don't want to say Inter because it's an obvious example they don't really use it that high but people will be shocked if they saw like Mamelodi Sundowns for example sometimes mm-hmm. using the goalkeeper in the middle third of the pitch yeah other examples too but- like Done that as well with some Pauli. Yeah, and um, you have Hamburg. You have Magdeburg. Is that was it, did they do the same? I think Magdeburg might as well. Mm. Um, Yokohama have Marinos under Kevin Muska, and you have there's one or that there's one other that hasn't came to my mind. But you have these coaches that like to use the goalkeepers in such high areas of the pitch to gain a plus one. Now, Rolani McQuenna was on the podcast last week. He mentioned that that is the reason why they use the goalkeeper in such a high area. He obviously, you obviously run the risk of, of a pass going wrong and your goalkeeper's 40 yards from his goal line. It happens. You have to just, if, you, if, you, if you're going to position your goalkeeper to have the pitch, you've got to take the risk. But what I want to ask you is about structure. Because the way we label, and, and it's not something I tend to do personally because I think in possession formations are pretty useless and I think it's better to just describe the roles or the the, the, yeah. the 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 area within the field that the player is. But a lot of people will will label or quantify the team shape and possession. So they'll say this is a three two two three, for example, if you're you know playing with whatever. What's interesting to me is if you have a goal, if you if you're saying if your team has possession in the progression phase in the middle toward, for example, trying to break down a mid block and you have a tree, two, two, three. If you add a goalkeeper to that, are you adding? Are yeah. you adding that number? And so I said to you yesterday when I sent over the kind of the the topics we were going to discuss, would you label it say a tree, tree, two, tree? If we, an extra goalkeeper. So that's all eleven players in it. Now I know some people as well say formations like one, four, tree, tree. They they yeah. use the goalkeeper anyway. But I think it's it's an interesting discussion. Do you think that we'll start seeing this in in in? Tactics? Yeah, I think I think. We had this podcast months ago about the, the the why formations exist even today, but um, I think it will it will become um, a trend just because you have to to be able to sort of quantify that and then start 
the same reason we use formations today, you mm-hmm. want to get out in those scenarios. And I think you're going to have to because in fl- like Flamengo, for example, Santos becomes level with the other center half. And obviously, like we're saying before that gives the, the center half the liberty to go in behind a second line of pressure, for example. But um, you, you, I think you have to just because it's if you're going to put quantify a structure and the myth and the goalkeeper is not playing that big a role in it, you mm-hmm. cannot leave him out of it just because it will seem almost inaccurate. And then, um, yeah, so I believe it's almost. I don't. I don't think it'll be a debate. I think you'll have to just because of how important it's becoming. Obviously, if you have Onana in the Champions League final, who was not that extreme, but his role was just so important. And then, do you want to quantify that if a Terbi maybe goes level mm-hmm. um, behind the first line of pressure? Is it now a four-two, and then you have a formation of eleven players in Brighton's hand? So. It, I well, think that's who I quantified it in the final when I watched. I quantified yeah. it as a four-two, but it was the goalkeeper was one of the yeah, four. The goalkeeper was one of them. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think you're right. I think you'll just have to. I don't think it's even a case of of. I think eventually, For you will see. Yeah, you will see the development of goalkeepers to the point where they are genuinely always positioned like that. I believe that's the way we're going to go. You'll you'll rarely have traditional goalkeepers anymore, especially when the 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 David De Gea plus generation all kind of start to to, to yeah, fade away, yeah. fade away out of football. Yeah. So I think you, you'll have to. And I just can't wait for I just can't wait for the discourse online because I remember when Thiago Motta came out and said he was going to use a 272 formation, which yeah. is all 11 players. Now what Thiago Motta was doing was he was I think it was a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. But what he happened was he was labeling the formation going horizontal horizontally yeah, horizontal, on pitch, yeah. rather than using vertical lines as we usually do. So it wasn't a two seven like it wasn't two centre backs, seven midfielders and two yeah. forwards. It was two two on the left flank, two on the right and seven in the central lanes, which includes the goalkeeper. Yeah. I but, think mm, yeah, it's just that um it's it's it, I think Tagamota very early before all of this happened, he was just kind of provoking the idea that maybe formations are a joke. It's useless because it's about the roles. And this whole podcast we've been going on about how the defender's functionality is increasing. And essentially, you have everybody playing each other's roles. Mm-hmm. It becomes about principles that the, che- the team wants to achieve in the first phase of the possession. It's not necessarily about the formation that they're going to use because that's going to that's gonna change so, so much in, in a case of like 10 seconds. So it's just... It, Finally, it's going to become about the principles and then the ideas behind the system of possession rather than the formations because it's it's almost becoming irrelevant. Um, mm-hmm. to, to, it, with the increase of functionality, the involvement of goalkeepers, it's becoming almost too dynamic to quantify. Yeah, and for those listening at home, I have written an article on Thiago Motta's Bologna. He does not use the 272 formation, I can assure you. But I think, as you said, as we were talking about in the future, you will have structures and you will have to quantify it with the goalkeeper and mm. and that being said you know people joked at Todd Bowley for 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 telling Thomas Tuchel to play a 4-4-3 but he was he was just a man ahead of his time I think it, yeah. it, 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 it disrespect <laughs> on Bowley's name Kyle the last topic we're going to discuss is one close to your heart your very own yeah. heart it's relationism because most of the podcasts we've talked about the functionality of defenders in or, or through the lens of positional play. Yeah. Because whether 
we like to admit are not most, you know, right, rightfully or wrongly, most modern analysis is seen through the lens of positional play. A lot of teams mm-hmm. adhere to principles of positional play subconsciously or 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 or, yeah. or consciously, but relationism is a little bit different. So when we talk about fullbacks, you made a great point earlier. I, I'd like you to, to to say it now because I think you'll do better justice to the fullback discourse and the functionality of defenders than I would do. Yeah, yeah it's just the nature of relation and relationism is one that does not have an abstract conceptualization of the game. Mm-hmm. So the moment you start saying the center half has to be there and the right back has to be there, you're no longer really talking about functional player relationism um, because those predetermined strategies aren't just, if you want to adopt that philosophy, that's not really um, how it works because at the moment, like I said, the moment you start telling players where they have to be, you sort of lose that. So the approach to the game is, is very different. But I think in the context of today's football and the complexity of specific sub-phases of, of, of the game, the outcome will be essentially the same. And this may be controversial, it's definitely the same thing mm-hmm. because the dynamic, like the dynamic movements of the players would be the same. The, the fullback, I mean, you see it in, in Malmo, the fullback moving inside, it's, oh, that's an inverted fullback. But it, so you basically get the same kind of trends and, and results, just it's a different approach. Um, obviously, you, you can make the argument that the framework for positional play is different and it's more prescribed, and that's why you have Robertson in such a conflicted role. Um, whereas positional play, it's not or relationism, it's not as premeditated, prescribed, and it's not the framework for the, mm-hmm. the decision making of the players is very interpretational, it's very, yeah, yeah situational. So the framework from which the players make the decisions are very different. And then if you want to just differentiate it by using those terms, then yeah. So it's a, that basically says the approach is different, but essentially it'll be the same. And well, regarding the the role of a centre-back stepping in the midfield or, or moving beyond the opposition's first line of pressure or even second line, the reason they do it is to gain superiority. Where Whether it be numerical, qualitative, doesn't matter regardless yeah. of what the reason is, whereas relationism that's not necessary and it's not again these are positional play terms to get this you know numerical superiority midfield create a box midfield or a diamond like city did in the champions league final for instance relationism doesn't adhere to that so it's not as if it would necessarily need to have an inverted fullback for any reason statically moving inside constantly yeah that's a great way to, to, to look at it because yeah yeah i think that's i think that's an important point to make and again when we discuss relationism we always try and look at it outside the the realms of positional play because as much as some certain people want to or or don't want to admit it positional play isn't the be all and end all of football there was there was football before it there will be football after it whenever that ends maybe not for a long time um, we're not haters of positional play, of course. It's just important to note that there are other ways to play football. There are other ways to analyze football. There are other ways to have discussions around football. So I think at TFA, we always try and, and bring you as much uh, relationist content as well. But I think it's important to note that, you know, th- there are different ways of looking at football and not everything is is oriented towards this one style that has become so prevalent, especially in, in Europe, we should say. Kyle, 
we'll wrap the podcast up there. We've got through a lot of topics today. We've we've covered the entire backline and the goalkeeper. And I'm, I'm well. We've actually got through everything we needed to get through. So I, I, I want to say thank you so much for coming on, Kyle. Where can people find you? Can uh, they find you? Can they find you on LinkedIn? Can yes, they can. Um, Kyle Miguel Pontes on LinkedIn, and then Twitter is just Osegundovolanchi. Um, yeah, I, I recommend Twitter is where the most most of the thoughts and ideas are. But you still tweet as much? No, nope. <laughs> I was going to say after, after, after your your, your, I, tweet yeah. about, your tweet about Rangers is actually the first I've seen of yours in a while. Yeah, I went probably a month, nearly two, without just tweeting that much. I think I found a lot more fruit and just reading it and making my own thoughts and then just keeping mm. that to myself and then just kind of like developing that myself because I'm always changing and I think once you put a tweet out people kind of associate you with that idea whereas two days later I don't have that same idea so I've just been a little more pragmatic about my uh, my my Twitter I like it and you can also follow me on Twitter at ascully24 and if you want or, or you can follow me if you want the the very best submarine memes which is my my thing right now um anyway kyle thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and i really enjoyed this chat and to all the listeners at home i hope you enjoy it as well make sure to tune in on tuesday for another episode of the tfa scouted podcast for you all to enjoy also make sure to rate the podcast share it with your followers friends and family as it really helps us to grow thank you all for listening and goodbye for now